Mastering Money, the Educator's Edition, where we talk about the latest in financial literacy education. I'm Doretta Thompson, Financial Literacy Leader for Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada, where we provide no-cost programs and free online resources that help Canadians own their finances and learn the language of money. You can find our podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, and wherever else you find your podcasts. Please do rate and review us. If you have any questions, you can get in touch with us at financialliteracy at cpacanada.ca. Today I'm speaking with Janice McClellan, the Vice President of Operations at the Canadian Payroll Association, where she also oversees a financial literacy program and a very important annual employee survey that's been measuring the financial wellness of Canadian employees for the past 11 years. Janice has seen firsthand the impacts of two economic recessions on the lives of individuals and small businesses. She's devoted her career to supporting sound financial decision-making for individual Canadians and for Canadian small businesses. Hi, Janice. Thanks for dropping by. Thanks, Doretta. Happy to be here. So tell me a little bit about the Canadian Payroll Association and how it's assumed this important role in financial literacy education. Well, first of all, let me talk about the association. So we are the authoritative source of Canadian payroll compliance, and we have been since 1978. So um, through our membership, we reach over 40,000 payroll practitioners across Canada, um, and we impact the payroll compliance sort of health, if you will, of uh, well over half a million payrolls um, annually. Now, um, the 1.5 million employers that we have in Canada rely on payroll practitioners to um, remit almost over $970 billion in wages, benefits, and um, overall administration. So payroll is, in fact, a mission-critical component of an organization and, quite frankly, of employees. So your folks are the ones that make sure that working Canadians get paid every day. Accurately and on time. And I think that's key, right? So, um, so we've been a, a champion, or I've been a champion of uh, financial wellness at the CPA because I know we know the direct impact that payroll has on business and employees. And certainly, our survey, um, which over the last ten years, eleven years, actually has indicated that, you know, as of now, forty-six percent of people live paycheck to paycheck. What greater impact than not getting your paycheck on time? So that's um, quite frankly how we've gotten involved. We feel that practitioners are in fact the front line. Uh, between employees and the organization with respect to their pay and can provide support and can provide um, programs that help build that financial wellness in the organization or for the employees. That's a really important position, very mm-hmm. important positioning in terms of frontline getting directly, you know, as, as if you like, the <coughs> supply side of income. Um, I, I often say that, um, you know, the payroll, pr- the payroll practitioner is usually the first person to find out when someone is struggling. You know, whether it's they're coming, people are coming to them for an advance on their pay um, or they've had an issue uh, uh, because if something happened with the paycheck, uh, that's usually it's the first indication. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. So the payroll people actually become a kind of frontline canary in the mine. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So you've been surveying Canadian employees, Canadian workers, for 11 years now. Correct. Can you tell me a little bit about why you started that, um, that survey, what you intended to learn, and, and, and how it's working? So we actually started the survey back in 2009, which was right after the last major recession, 2008. 
So was that the driver? Uh, it was part of the driver. Um, the second part was, again, trying to reinforce to employers how mission-critical payroll is. Um, so, I mean, our mantra as an organization, as payroll professionals, is absolutely pay people accu accurately and on time. So we wanted to measure what the impact would be if, in fact, payroll was late by a week, as an example. Wow. Okay? Um, and in doing so, we started seeing some really um, interesting uh, you know, data that came forward in terms of how people were feeling. And over the years, we've kind of evolved um, the survey to dig a little deeper into, um, into people's financial um, uh, situation. And surprisingly, they're quite open about it. So we're really, really gathering a lot of good data. And it's become a bit of an economic indicator over time. Right. Yeah. So, so how do you gather the data? Um, so, so the distribution is um, we send the survey actually out to payroll professionals across Canada. They in turn cascade it down to their respective employees in their organization. We get a tremendous take up. We have anywhere between six and 8,000 responses right across Canada. Wow. All levels of income, all types of jobs. Um, and not always the same employees every year. So that's something to note as well, because it's up to the payroll professional to sort of cascade it down, and it's up to the employees to actually fill it out. So it can be a different sample size, but it is, in fact, working Canadians. So it's interesting that the data comes up, and there are no major swings. It just really talks to there's some core issues throughout the working Canadian population. Mm. So you started right after the 2008 recession. Yeah. Um, <coughs> What did you see then, and, and how did that shape it going forward to what you're doing with it today? Well, certainly at that time, people were struggling. Uh, you know, obviously there had been uh, downsizing, and, um, and uh, wages weren't where they are today. Um, so as an example, back in 2009, the, the one question we ask is, are you living paycheck to paycheck, or do you feel you're living paycheck to paycheck? At that time, it was about 59%. It's come down a bit to about 48%. But when you think of the last decade, when the economy has been running at its best, interest rates are historically the lowest they've ever been, mm -hmm. and people are still struggling. It's eye-opening. Wow. So talk to me a little bit about this paycheck-to-paycheck -paycheck challenge. Um, I think that, you know, certainly in our work what we see um, is that sometimes people make assumptions that, that living paycheck-to-paycheck is income dependent. So it's not a problem that you would see, for example, in higher income Canadians. It's only a problem you would see with lower income Canadians. What does your research tell us about that? Well, our research tells us that there's no discrimination with respect to income or age, for that matter. Really? Um, absolutely. I mean, we see problem areas in people who are actually close to retiring, and you would assume that a lot of their, you know, their mortgage debt and everything would be paid, paid down. Um, the median income for our survey has actually increased to $125,000. So that's the median household income. And now everybody is shocked when I, when I share this uh, piece of data because most people assume they're lower income. They're absolutely not. So really the income levels are anywhere from 40000 up to uh, greater than 225000 Amazing. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing the same challenges. We're seeing the same challenges. What we are seeing is what's very troublesome is debt. The debt load is definitely on the increase, and people feel overwhelmed by their debt. So um, in 2018, as an example, 40% uh, said that they were overwhelmed by their debt, and that's up 5% from the previous year. 72% <clears throat> of them say, I haven't come close to saving up to a quarter 
of what I need for my retirement income. And some of those are, in fact, as I've indicated, in the higher end. So we've started asking questions like, um, you know, what type of debt do you have? Uh, we started asking questions um, why, in terms of why, you know, what's your um, retirement age? So interestingly enough, they say, as an example, they've only saved up to a quarter of their retirement income. But many still say their target retirement age is 61. So there's a little bit of a disconnect. Right. Um, when it comes to uh, the debt, the type of debt, uh, this year, for the first time, mortgages have come to the top in terms of the, the most difficult debt to pay down. Um, and, we, and that is really kind of um, located in, not located, but it's kind of centered around sort of Toronto and Vancouver, as one would expect. Uh, credit card debt and uh, line of credit is the next. It's still pretty high, and people are struggling to manage. So, so your, your, your demographic, these are working Canadians with, um, so they're, they've got earned income. That's 95% are full-time employees. 5% right. are part-time. So through the research, what issues are you seeing with, with working Canadians? I think overall, when we step back and take a look at all of the data and all the different questions, um, there's, working Canadians are still not focused on the big picture. Um, they're not saving for long-term. In fact, they're not even saving for short-term. So one of the big questions that we've been asking for years is, you know, um, could you come up with $2,000 in one month um, in the event of emergency? And only one in five can. So um, we're going to start asking the questions of, well, if you could come up with 2000 how would you come up with it? And we suspect that some people would probably use a credit card very quickly or a, a debt vehicle. They're just not saving. Um, we do feel that, that people have indicated that they're struggling to save even 5% of their debt pay. Um, and they're not looking at the long-term picture in terms of, of retirement. So for us, it feels like, um, you know, there may be some behavioral changes that they're struggling with. I'll give you an example. We actually did ask the question in terms of, if you could improve your financial situation, how would you do that? Well, 25% indicated that they would need more earnings. Right. Only 19% said they needed to adjust their spending. Interesting. Very. Interesting. Very. So the, uh, the, the consumer pressure, the, the pressures to buy, the pressures of consumer society, the expectations, do you think that's what's driving behavior, or what do you think is driving behavior? Oh, I think behavior? there is a part. Uh, you know, I, to be fair, um, there are other factors as well. So when you look at um, some of the regional differences, as an example, um, those um, in Vancouver and, and Toronto obviously seem to struggle the most in terms of paycheck to paycheck. Now we know, I mean, it's well published that, you know, r I say real estate prices because I'm also including rent in there, the ability to rent, um, makes it very tough. When you look at areas like Quebec, now Quebec is an interesting one because only there, 25% said they live paycheck to paycheck. That's like one quarter lower than the rest of the country. Um, and they have better, more savings. Now, um, Quebec has more social programs, right. you know, subsidized daycare. daycare. Um, there's a number of other incentives that Quebec has that perhaps that's, you know, that's one way of looking at it. Atlantic Canada and the prairies struggle all the time. Um, that's consistent. And a lot of that has to do with economic instability. So. Right. right. You know, there are other factors. It's not just behavioral. Um, but certainly there is a, you know, there is a question about that. So when you look at, at the information that you've been gathering on working uh, Canadians over the last decade and a bit, 
some things seem to be getting more in whack, some things to be getting worse, some stressors are increasing, some debt levels are decreasing. Big picture, how do you feel about that? What do you think those, where those trends are leading? I don't know so much as uh, it's a trend. Um, again, there are some positive, there's certainly some positive gains in terms of, as you said, you know, um, a decrease in those that are struggling paycheck to paycheck. Um, incomes are certainly rising slightly. We saw that year over year. I think the bigger concern is if there's a big economic shock, whether, and, and it could be both at the macro level and the micro level. You know, at the macro level, it could be interest rates that suddenly start going up. Um, at the micro level, it could be um, if you're dependent on two incomes and all of a sudden one income is gone right. for a variety of reasons, whether right. it's job loss, divorce, whatever the case may be. It's how will people cope with economic shocks if they don't have built in or gotten into the habit of a cushion. I had an interesting discussion um, with a reporter a couple of months ago. And he asked me the question, he said, really, what's changed? He said, when I think of my parents' generation, you know, they may have struggled to sort of cover, you know, living expenses and what have you. And I shared with him at the time that I think, and this is my personal opinion, uh, one of the biggest differences, if you look at your parents' generation, mortgages, you had to have at least 25% down payment before you could even get a mortgage. Interest rate was flat. You held it for 30 years. Um, very few people could get a credit card. Home loans, home equity loans didn't exist um, at the time. Um, it wasn't even that easy to get a car loan. Mm -hmm. Fast, flash forward to this particular generation and where we are today, and it's true of everybody, um, debt is easy to get. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know, if you're not taught well how to manage it, you can get yourself into a lot of trouble. Interesting. Right? So the vehicles are easy. They're easily available. Uh, you know, home home equity lines are automatic, almost automatically come yeah. with every mortgage. Home know. equity line of credit are one of the things that concern me the most, to be perfectly honest. It's, it's uh, people can treat them like bank accounts. Or it's credit cards. It's that easy. Or credit right? cards, right? It's like they don't even think about it as a credit card, you know? It's like they draw money in and out of them because they work like a bank account. But I think there's also an assumption uh, that uh, it's against, you know, um, an asset that continues to increase, increase in value, right? So right. you'll be fine when the time comes for you to sell your house. It'll be there to be, get covered and, and paid mm -hmm. off. Um, but with all due respect, I've lived in Toronto for 30 years now, and I've seen the Toronto market go down twice, yeah. where people have actually lost money on their houses. So mm -hmm. I don't want to sound like a whole bunch of doom and gloom here, but, um, I, you know, there are signs there that people... Uh, either don't understand how to manage their finances or need the discipline or need some sort of help um, to get them into a more balanced sort of financial picture, if you will. What role do you think that the shift from defined benefit to defined <coughs> contribution pensions has had? You know, you can look at it two ways. So there are a couple of generations now, the baby boomer generation in particular, that are about to retire, many of whom have benefited from a defined benefit plan, um, and probably as a result, uh, you know, they were quite dependent on that for the retirement planning. They felt good that they'll be, you know, kept at par. But oddly enough, we're also seeing a portion of that particular generation that is going into retirement with debt over their head mm -hmm. because they assume that will, you know, cover it off. But it doesn't take into account, you know, the potential for health issues or, again, an economic shock that that house that you depended on may not be worth what it was. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm actually starting to see with the younger generations, because they've been 
they haven't had, they don't have the benefit of retirement. They don't have the benefit of guaranteed jobs or, you know, steady jobs the way the older generation did. They might actually end up being more pragmatic uh, with managing their finances. That's what I'm predicting. Interesting. And we're starting to see that. So when we look at the data that we have, the group that seems to be struggling the most is the one in the middle, the Generation X, um, you know, where the median age is about 44. They are the ones that seem to be struggling the most. Interesting. Not necessarily the millennials, like most people would assume. Millennials also have a lot more time to, to uh, they have get more decisions time to recover. right now and sure. to recover. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and one would hope, um, as you know, Canada continues to expand the importance of financial literacy, whether it's in the school or whether it's in the workplace, um, that that generation, the younger generation, will have more tools uh, than perhaps this middle generation has. And that is the perfect segue, because I want to ask you, why should employers care about this? Well, Doretta, as um, you know, because we've both uh, seen some of this research, without a doubt, I mean, there's been a multitude of research throughout on how a healthy employee makes a happier employee a more productive employee. And that's whether it's physical health, whether it's mental health. We're now seeing aspects of financial health spilling into the workplace. So we actually started asking the question in our survey a couple of years ago about how um, stress, financial stress, impacts them in the workplace. And I'm shocked to say that 46% say it affects them at work. They're actually carrying the stress of their financial situation into the workplace. Um, so, you know, as an employer, I mean, we know that stress and anxiety has a direct impact and it has a, on the workplace. It creates absenteeism, it creates high turnover, um, it creates less productive employees. So, you know, from an employer stand, uh, standpoint, to be pragmatic, I'm going to go back to the comment I made earlier about people thinking that, you know, an increased income is the way to get out of their financial situation as opposed to changing their spending. Um, if you just want to be pragmatic about it, as an employer, if I've invested in employees and I want to retain them, I don't want them jumping from employer to employer for an extra $2 an hour or an extra $5 an hour. If I can bring in financial education programs into the workplace to help them budget and save and what have you, they'll be less focused on and they'll be, you know, healthier in terms of their financial mm -hmm. health and they'll be less apt to mm -hmm. jump to another employer for a higher mm -hmm. income. They'll be happy with, you know, where they yeah. are. And and as you say, we've seen research that, that definitely suggests that, that financial education, um, appropriate financial education combined with certain kinds of, of uh, opportunities and, and incentives, shall we say, mm -hmm. does significantly reduce, um, can, can significantly reduce stress and its impact on behavior. Absolutely. So we asked the question again. Um, these are new questions that we've been adding in the last couple of years um, in our survey was, one, you know, what's the impact to, to you in the workplace? And they've told us that. The second question is, is if your employer offered some financial education programs, would you be interested? 84% said they would be interested. So yes, as you say, we've seen the research that, that suggests that, that it does have a significant impact, that, that employees are really open to, and in fact, desirous of having a, a financial education and that they would absolutely uptake it. And it's interesting because when we saw the initial move, and, and, and it's a you know, major way from defined benefit to defined contribution pensions, employers originally assumed that employees did not want um, their employers meddling in their personal finances, if mm -hmm. you like. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the research is telling us exactly the opposite. 
Well, you know, there's another telling statistic because we actually asked um, if you had the choice um, and you wanted your employer um, to provide some financial education or bring in some tools and resources, would you prefer to do it during work hours or after work hours? Now, uh, what came back was they prefer to do it during work hours, i.e. lunch and learns. Um, you could look at that a couple of different ways, but I think it's really more indicative of the fact that after work people are running. Mm -hmm. Whether they're running with you know, yeah. children activities, they're just too busy to take the time to invest in their own uh, personal education or don't know where to start. Right. Um, you know, the, the number one topic they're interested in is savings and planning. The number two is budgeting. That's not really, uh, as an employer, not really interfering. There are right. tons of organizations out there that have programs that can come on site for zero or low cost, yourselves included. Including they can CPA provide Canada's. all kinds of education. Um, you know, if you have a group benefit plan, which almost many employers do, many small employers do as well, make sure you have your broker come in or your, your group benefit provider come in every year and remind employees of what benefits they have. You know, once they get a package, many of them don't sort of keep referring to the package or really understand what they have. Right. The same if you have a defined contribution. Bring that provider in every year and talk about, um, you know, how the plan is progressing and the things that they need to do. That's just a, to me, it's, it's a little bit, if you're an employer, this is a way to improve your brand as well. This is a way to attract um, good employees if, in fact, you show um, as part of your portfolio and as part of your suite of compensation benefits that you, in fact, bring in these financial education programs. Think about, um, you know, a number of years ago when the, the health wellness um, came into the workplace. Uh, well, a lot of employers are branding themselves as, you know, we look after your physical health, we offer yoga, we, you know, provide these types of benefits. Now that seems to be extending to mental health and financial health. So it's a suite of sort of um, a way of compensating your employees um, and, and making them feel like you're an employer of choice. I think there's a number of ways to look at it. So what advice would you give to an employer who wanted to start such a program? Um, well, there's a number of sources. Certainly, um, you know, I'll talk about some of the programs that we have, but certainly organizations like the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada has, um, you know, a website with a multitude of tools. Um, CPA Canada, as an example, has a number of programs um, that you folks, there's, there's organizations out there that you can reach out to to help. Um, we have um, actually a whole financial literacy section on our website, so payroll.ca's um, backslash financial literacy. And we have a number of tools um, available uh, for employers. Um, uh, first one is we've developed um, a video called Understanding Your Pay. You would be surprised at the number of individuals who have been working for years and or are getting their first job and do not understand the components of the deductions coming off of their paycheck. So um, our video is, you know, divided into three parts. It focuses on um, here are what each of the uh, deductions, in particular the, the statutory deductions, what they mean um, and what, they're, what they stand for in terms of their programs. We talk about some of their rights and, and, and uh, rights as a Canadian worker, um, such as statutory holidays and vacation entitlement and things like that. And then lastly, talk about their obligations in filing taxes. Um, the second tool that we have available, um, and I do want to get into it, uh, uh, another one in, in, in a second. Um, the second tool we have available is we actually have a little mini quiz where individuals can test how their financial health is against the rest of the country. So we've actually, we will run that quiz against the database that we have of this um, survey that we've done for the last 11 years. And so they can see whether they're 
you know, in, in the same group as the national average, if you will. Um, and lastly, more importantly, I think this is where um, payroll professionals across Canada can play a huge, huge role. And Doretta, you know how I am about this. I do. So um, payroll technology, which has been in Canada for well over 35 years, ev uh, virtually every payroll platform in Canada has the ability to, take, to assign a portion of everyone's um, paycheck. You can distribute it either to your checking account and you can distribute a second portion to either a retirement or a savings account. It automatically comes off your pay. That is the best way to start getting into a savings program because it's set and it's done before you even get your net pay. It's a very, very effective way of budgeting and it's a very effective way of getting yourself into the habit of paying yourself first. Um, in fact, about 55% of employers have that program, but sadly only about 44% of employees actually take advantage of it. So I think some employers have an, op um, an opportunity here to sort of promote it. Um, think about it. If we can get to a stage where we can really get people set on the right path of having a balanced financial health profile, if you start a new job and the first question that's asked is, what deposit account would you like your paycheck to go into? And the second question that's asked is, and where would you like your savings deduction to go to? It should be as standard part of your onboarding process in much the same way as signing up for your group benefit program is. And that way, people will get into the habit of saving and paying for yourself. So on our website um, uh, that I just talked about, we have in fact um, a one-page or two-page guide that can help companies set up um, a pay-yourself-first program for your employees. And you know, when you think about it, we've talked about this before, large companies tend to have the resources to put a number of great financial wellness programs in place. But what about the small business client or the medium-sized um, employer? Um, well, again, because it's already built into the payroll system that you've already invested in, it's there. It's there for you. And it's a very low-cost uh, program to put in place for your employees and, and show them that you're here to support you know, their savings targets and, um, and their plans. If you could wave a magic wand, what changes would you like to see to employee payroll decisions that will support the financial wellness of working Canadians? So I'd like to see all employees in Canada utilize a Pay Yourself First program through payroll to start their savings. So tell me about that. You tell me about small. Pay Yourself First. So it goes back to um, every payroll system has the ability to divert a portion of everyone's paycheck or anybody's paycheck um, to a savings account. So you can establish with your employer to take off $10 a pay, $100 a pay, whatever works for you, um, and it automatically comes off your paycheck before you even get it. And it gets diverted to that account that you've diverted. Mm -hmm. That automatically builds a habit, which is what's critical for getting yourself into a good financial plan. And I think, you know, employers seriously need to get behind the concept of financial wellness as part of their organizational brand. Be part of sort of the Canadian narrative, if you will, about having, you know, um, Canadians who are healthy in a financial way as well. I think that's important. I've been asking people about their own experiences uh, <laughs> with financial, um, their personal financial planning. And we all have those stories, right? Mm -hmm. the, the gym membership that you didn't cancel for three and a half years and 
And uh, you know, you realize that paying for the gym membership isn't enough. You actually have to go to the gym. It's not quite the same thing. I, I used to call it my gym membership a donation to the gym. Exactly. Yeah. So tell me, do you have a story that you could share with us about uh, what you learned? So you know what? It may sound a little bit sincere. I haven't made too many financial mistakes, but to be honest, that's partly because I grew up with parents who were very poor money managers right through to their senior years. Um, and, you know, I recall the worries and the arguments that happened in the family, um, and I swore I'd never be the same. So I did spend a lot of time sort of educating myself um, on financial management. However, I will go back to the day uh, when I was a student. I remember receiving a package in the mail congratulating me for graduating from university with an application to five retail credit cards. Oh my. Well, and I think it's still happening, believe it or not. So with a new job and a steady, so naturally I applied and got all five. Um, so, you know, with a new job and a steady paycheck and a new apartment to fill, I thought I'd kind of made it in the shade. Mm -hmm. Ironically, my first job out of university was a loans and mortgage officer with a bank. Uh, during a major recession when interest rates were double digits. Do you remember those days? Oh, I remember yeah. them well. Though, I, though apparently a lot of credit cards are still up there, They're still up there. <laughs> They're still up there, but you know, certainly mortgages were double digits, car loans were double digits for sure. Uh, I spent more time collecting, doing collections on that job than I did lending out money because of the time. And quite frankly, it was really difficult to see the devastation um, of the people who, you know, and their families that had gotten in over their heads, quite frankly, with credit cards, with lots of debt, and weren't able to withstand any of the financial shocks that were going on at the time. Mm. I don't think I ever forgot that. So six months after I started the job, I cut up every credit card. Um, I still have one credit card. I'm a bit of a points junkie, I <laughs> admit, but I do pay it off in full. Every month I'm responsible. But I never forgot that. I never let go of that. And that's probably why I'm such a champion for financial literacy, whether it's in the schools to get the habit started early, or whether it's in the, fin in the workplace um, for those who haven't had that opportunity to get that financial education. I think we have a great opportunity here in Canada to sort of nip a lot of this in the bud mm -hmm. and help people along. Well, thank you so much. And uh, I would like to say again that, that um, there are a lot of ways that employers can set up these programs um, to support their employees, better financial decision making, and a lot of solid benefits uh, to doing that. Janice has mentioned um, the FCAC Financial Literacy website, the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada. This is a Government of Canada website, lots of great tools. And Canadian Payroll Association has some great tools as well. So Janice, do Thank you want to just remind us of that website? So the website is payroll.ca backslash financial literacy. And there's a whole section. You can easily um, download the tools. Um, you can easily access. In fact, we also have all of the data for all of the surveys that we've done in the last number of years, both national and regional results. So if you're trying to build a business case for your employer, um, you can certainly access those stats and say, Here, here's the data, and here's why we need to help people in the workplace. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. This has been another episode of Mastering Money, the Educator's Edition, brought to you by Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada. If you'd like to get in touch with us, our email is financialliteracy at cpacanada.ca, and you can rate and review us on iTunes.